Welcome to Roots Radio, weekly high school Bible studies located at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. All right. Well, if you guys have your Bibles, if you don't have your Bibles, you can use your phone, your mobile device. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, continuing our study in the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, in the previous week, we looked at um, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 and 9, talking about giving. Um, but this evening, we want to talk a little bit about the Apostle Paul and once again, him defending his ministry. But then also, we want to talk about um, along the lines of, of spiritual warfare and what it means to, um, to fight within the Christian life. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we all there? All righty, sweet. Does any, hold on, does anybody not have a Bible or a mobile device that they can, anybody at all? Do we have any Bibles that we could, right here? There you go, TJ and the crew in the back, give you some. Um, cool, awesome. Sweet. All right, well, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 this evening. Follow along. In verse 1 it says, Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we have walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all uh, disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Look at verse 7. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. Verse 9, lest I seem to terrify you by letters, for, this, uh, for his letters, they say, are weighty. And powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. Let's keep going. Verse 12 For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Verse, uh, verse 15, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is in other men's labors, but having hope uh, that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere or accomplishments. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. In verse 18, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And let's pray together. Lord, Lord, we just, we ask God that you would speak to us this evening, God, Lord, that you would open up our hearts, Lord, that you'd open up our our ears, Lord, just to understand, Lord, what you would have to, to say to us. God, I pray that you would speak through me, God, Lord, that you would use your word, um, Lord, like you always do, Lord, just to speak directly to us, to our hearts, Lord, that, um, Lord, it's, it's the sword, the sword of the spirit, Lord, that cuts um, joint and marrow, Lord, that, that pierces directly to the heart, Lord, directly to the issue, God. Um, and so, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would be, um, Lord, just amongst us, God, and that you would move mightily, Lord, and speak mightily this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Paul here, once again, is dealing and defending his apostolic authority. Chapters 8 and 9 were about giving, like we said, and, and how we are to give cheerfully and without complaining. Last week, Andrew 
spoke on that in, in chapter 9, how we are to, to give, um, to, to give joyfully and, and what that means. And, and uh, it's always an interesting topic um, to bring up and even to, to teach on. Um, and Andrew, Andrew said, and it was kind of funny, he said that um, it's just more, even than going through the book of Revelation, it's, it's just an awkward um, kind of topic. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and for me, applying that to, to that passage, that's, that's what it meant. So tithing in itself, that's what it, that's what it means, 10%. If you have any other questions, ask Andrew. Um, he would love to answer all your questions about that. Um, but anyways, giving cheerfully. And without complaining, it's a blessing to give unto the Lord, to give what he has given unto us. That's what we saw in chapters 8 and 9. But in chapter 10 here tonight, we see once again that Paul is defending his credentials as an apostle. Look with me in verse 1. It says, Now I, Paul myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. So we see here that Paul now has a change of tone. And, and some people believe that, that chapters 10 through 13, so the next, the last couple of chapters in the book of 2 Corinthians, um, were a completely different letter all in itself. Um, when, when you compare the rest of the book to these, couple, these, these last couple of chapters, it, it's kind of unlikely um, that this is the case. But regardless, there's, there's a shift or there's, there's a change of tone um, and, and Paul's switching gears in, in this, uh, these last couple chapters. Um, and Paul says in verse 1 that I'm pleading with you. And notice these two things. He's pleading with them by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, this is important. And you say, why, why is this important? This is important that Paul mentions this because in the next couple of chapters, 10 through 13, uh, Paul is going to say some pretty heavy stuff to the Corinthians. He's just going to lay it out. And so what we're going to see is that, in, in, if you guys have been following along with us through the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you'll notice that the, the Corinthians were just, they were gnarly. And I was talking to Andrew earlier as I was studying this earlier in the week. Um, Corinth was, they were, they were really, they were carnal. They were really carnal Christians. And what the word carnal means, it just means fleshly. And just, they were full of sin. And they needed um, the sin to be purged out. And they needed the Lord to do a work within the church there. And so coming into the section, we realize um, the area of Corinth and, and the place that it was in that time was a very um, influential area. It was a very wealthy area as it was a place of commerce um, where ships would come through as it was there on the coast. Um, and so this is, this is what Paul's dealing with as he's writing from prison, writing to the Corinthians there. Um, and so Paul, Paul is going to say some pretty heavy stuff to the Corinthians. And so that's why he says, in meekness and in gentleness, as a loving father writing to his kids, that's what, that's what Paul is portraying here. And look at the Corinthians' accusation against Paul. They said, who in presence am lowly among you? As you'll notice at the end of verse 1, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. And in Paul's absence, there were people who were calling Paul, basically they were calling him two-faced. They're saying, Paul, you know, you're, you're super nice when you're in person. You come and, and you hang out with us and you encourage us and it's awesome. But then when you're writing to us, you're, you're writing completely um, like you're a, a complete know-it-all. And so they're basically calling him just a, a two-faced kind of guy. They said Paul is, Paul is kind in person, but then he writes, when he, when he writes his letters, he's, he's basically just, he's mean, he's very stern, very strict. Um, basically, they were just calling uh, Paul a coward, in essence. But listen, boldness and lowliness can be entirely consistent in the same person. Did you know that? Boldness and lowliness can be completely consistent in the same person. Look at Jesus, for example. Jesus, he was bold and yet lowly. Jesus was meek and mild, right? Meek and mild Jesus. But man, when it came to be bold, when, when the time came, he stepped it up. He, he was, he was bold. He, he acted out um, in really righteous indignation against, you remember the, the religious leaders there as he's overturning the tables in the temple and he's, he's he made of uh, a whip and he's, he's driving out the Pharisees out of the temple. Why? Because that was a place that was to be holy. Un and dedicated completely unto the Lord. So we have that example of Jesus. And so Paul, in, in writing to the Corinthians, he says, man, uh, mimic me. Why? Because I'm, I'm looking to, to emulate, and not to just to emulate, but to, to live like Christ. But look what Paul says in verse 2. 
Paul says, But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. What is, what is Paul saying here? But for, first of all, look at, look at the, the statement. It says, bold against some. He says, I may not be bold with that confidence, but I intend to be bold against some. Not all of the Corinthians here were saying this of Paul, but there were some that this is the group that, that Paul is targeting in on, that he's speaking to. And what were they thinking of Paul? What, what, what's going on at this point? What were they saying of Paul? Basically, they thought that Paul was walking according to the flesh. Did you notice that in verse 2? It says that. He says, By which I intended to be bold against some who think of us as if we have walked according to the flesh. Can you believe that? <laughs> That's pretty heavy. These people had the audacity, really, to say this against the Apostle Paul. And for us, you know, we've had time to, to look at Paul and his letters and who he was in the history of Paul, in the book of Acts, the book of Romans, um, and the other um, epistles that he wrote, and to see, man, this is a true man of God. But for these people that were there at that time, seeing Paul, they were accusing him of walking according to the flesh, or basically walking in sin. In, in modern day, for example, this would basically be like me coming up to Pastor Andrew and saying, hey, bro, you know, I, I know you're nice and stuff in person and like you give great hugs and, and whatnot. But when you start teaching the Bible, man, you're like, you're like totally different. You know, you're, you're all yelling and stuff. And not that he does that, just for example, man, you're yelling and stuff. And, and, uh, and I really think you're in sin. That's basically what it would be like during this time. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? That's like, no? Just me? Okay. I thought that would be completely like calling Andrew out in sin just because he's, he's nice in person. Like he steps down from the podium and he's a completely normal person. But then when he gets up, he speaks in the authority that God has given him. And he's speaking basically just the, the word of God. And so that's what, that's what Paul's doing here in this time. Um, and again, it's just, just ridiculous to even think that they would do that. And it, it's a completely terrible argument that they're presenting against Paul. And listen, though, we can do that today. Many people as you know, are admired at a distance, right? Many people can be admired at a distance. When, when you're just hanging out with people every once in a while and, and you talk every once in a while and, and you're getting to know people, man, th things, are, things are pretty good, right? Things are pretty normal. Um, but man, when it gets personal and when people start to call you out as a good friend, as someone in the Lord, as a brother and sister in Christ, um, because that sin's wrecking your life, and you can't see it because you've been blinded by that sin, man, watch out. Man, people get super defensive because they don't know what to say back, really, to the Word of God. As you're just simply trying to be um, a light unto them, simply trying to be an encouragement to them, people can twist that and take it the wrong way. When you start to actually care for people and you speak forth the Word of God into their life, be careful. Do it lovingly, yes, but be careful in even how you can respond to them if that's you. Watch out. People can be defensive, but man, just give them the word of God. And then for these people, and maybe you've been that. I know I've been that personally. What, what can happen is that ultimately then you begin to fight against not that person, but then you get, begin to fight against God. And that's what these Corinthian Christians were doing at this time. They were fighting against God, not against Paul. And they were really arguing, as we'll see later in the chapter, against God. But in verses uh, 3 through 6, Paul deals with the, the ac this accusation um, of walking according to the flesh. And so we see verses 1 and 2, the accusation, right, of the Corinthians there. In verses 3 through 6, we're going to see the answer that Paul gives. And so let's look at the answer that Paul gives in verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Paul is making it clear that he does not, listen, that he does not walk in the flesh or excuse me, that, that he does walk in the flesh. He does walk in the flesh, but he does not walk according to the flesh. 
He walks in the flesh. Speaking of his, his mortal body, he's in the flesh. And so he's using this in, in relating to the people, to the Corinthian people that are there. But he says he does not walk according to the flesh. The flesh has not controlled him as a person. Paul says, yes, I walk in the flesh but my, um, as my body, but I choose not to war. I choose not to war according to the flesh. In other words, Paul is saying, I will not answer my critics according to the flesh. And so Paul is being very wise in, what, in, in his words that he's using here. He says, I will not answer my critics according to the flesh. I'm not, I'm not going to fight in that way. And why? Why, why would Paul say that? Why, why does Paul say this? Look at verse 4. It says for the, in verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. It says for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, the word carnal, as we said before, it means fleshly. The word carnal means fleshly. Paul says, I'm not using fleshly weapons. Paul says, my weapons are not material, but they are, are, they're rather spiritual. They're spiritual weapons that I'm using. And Paul did not use carnal weapons to defend his apostolic credentials in this case. What Paul is saying here directly applies to every one of us tonight. Man, we're, we're in a battle. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? We're in a spiritual battle. Man, it's, it's a fight, man. There's a real enemy. There's a real opponent that we're facing. His name is Satan. And he's out to, as the Bible says, to, to, um, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's, that's, his, that's his agenda. That's all he wants to do. And so in realizing that we're in a battle, we need to realize that there's actual weapons that we get to fight with. And let me ask you before we get into this, I want to ask tonight, man, are you fighting a battle tonight, today, this week? As you go back to school, man, you're faced with um, all these things, these people, man, where as before, during, during summer, let's say, and you're around your, a Christian group of friends, um, where now as you go back to school, man, there's people that are up in your face, and you're like, what is the deal? Just carnality, profanity, every other word's a cuss word, um, you know, people just in and out of relationships, now that you're back on, man, it's, it's a battle. And the devil knows that, but we're going to look at tonight in the next couple of verses what you can use to fight that. In Ephesians 6, and let's actually flip there, Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul basically lays out the, kind of, of, the kinds of weapons that he's using at this point. Um, and he says in verse... Here we go. Verse 14. Chapter 6, verse 14. Look at this. It says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And these are the weapons of our warfare that we're, we're able to fight with. How many of you guys like war stuff? How many of you guys like battles? Man, as a kid, anything that you could find, you find a stick and then you, you, uh, you level up basically and your parents get you like a sword in like the dress-up box and you're super stoked. Man, I remember that. It was so fun. And then you move on to gun. It's like anything weapons. It's for a guy that was like, maybe some of you girls are like that, maybe not. Uh, for, but for us guys, I know me and Joel, like growing up, like always, we always had battles in the backyard. It was like, we can just, our imagination just took us everywhere. And we just have, just give me a stick and I'll just beat on like the other person. It was so fun. But man, for us, in realizing that we're in a spiritual battle, man, it's, it's, it's serious. It's no joke. It's for real. And listen, guys, to use these weapons that we just read about in Ephesians 6, to use these weapons, it takes faith in God and not in carnal methods. It takes faith in God, faith and trust in God and not in carnal methods. Some of the Corinthian Christians here were relying upon their carnal weapons that they were using. For example... Check this out. Instead of the belt of truth, they were using manipulation. Instead of the breastplate of righteousness, they were using the image of success. Instead of the shoes of the gospel to, to send forth the gospel, they were, they were using smooth words. Instead of using the shield of faith, 
They were using their perception of power. Instead of the helmet of salvation, they were lording over authority. And instead of using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, they were using human schemes and human programs. And Paul made it clear and said that I am not going to fight this way. I'm not going to fight carnally. I'm not going to fight with these carnal weapons. And did you know that Jesus used spiritual weapons? Did you know that? Jesus used spiritual weapons when he fought for our salvation. Look at Philippians. Flip with me to Philippians. <laughs> Flip. Uh, Philippians 2, 6 and 8. Didn't even mean to do that. Philippians 2, verse 6 through 8. Look at what it says there. It says in verse 5, actually, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. Listen, he humbled himself. That's key. Jesus humbled himself. It became obedient. So he humbled himself. He became obedient. And look what it says, to the point of death even the death of the cross. And Jesus fighting for our salvation, man, he exercised these, uh, these spiritual weapons. And Jesus relied upon the same weapons that we find in Ephesians 6 and that Paul is speaking of here. But the Corinthians, on the other hand, thought this was weakness. They thought Paul was weak because he fought with these spiritual weapons. The human way, the carnal way, is to overpower and dominate and manipulate one another, Right? Carnal weapons, that's, that's a way um, that people, let's say, within the world, that's, that's a way that, that people get their agenda across. That's how people fight, is by domination, manipulation, and overpowering one another. But the spiritual way, the, the, the Jesus way, the example that we have as Christians is to humble ourselves, to die to ourselves, and let God show his resurrection power through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with that? This is the way in which we are to fight as Christians. It's with spiritual weapons. And again, the world, man, even today, the world laughs at these weapons that we use, but the devil is even terrified at these weapons. Did you know that? The devil will let you win battles through overpowering, through dominating, and through manipulation. And basically, the reason why, when you're using carnal weapons, and he'll let you win is because it basically just confirms that you're a carnal Christian. That's what it does. When you're in the flesh and we're, you're battling against these things in the flesh, it's just confirming that you're carnal. And so the devil, in this sense, he, he doesn't have anything to fight against. But man, when you are on your face, when you're seeking Jesus, when you're in the word of God, man, then the devil has something to be terrified at. Man, because you're, uh, you're becoming a stronger Christian, you're becoming more like Christ, and the devil can't do anything about that. He can tempt you, right? But he can't do anything with those weapons that you have. You have the advantage in that case. But when you pick up these spiritual weapons, like we said, the enemy is terrified. And when you go out to battle the way God wants you to battle, man, by laying down your life as Jesus did, and following in the, in the footsteps of Jesus by being obedient like Jesus was under the cross, man, Satan hates it. Satan completely hates it. Why? Because he knows that you're seeking the face of Jesus. Because you're seeking to be more like Christ. Because that, that's, what, that's what makes you powerful. When you're seeking to, to be more like Jesus, when you're seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit really just, that's a thing that, it's basically like plugging in a power cord in, in, into the socket. That's, that's what the Christian life is with the Holy Spirit. Without it, you're just, you're turned off. There's, there's, there's really no power in the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. For us, in being empowered by the Holy Spirit, these weapons that we read of in Ephesians 6, and that Paul is speaking of here, that's powerful. And Satan is terrified of it. And he hates it. But why does he hate it? Because, look at this, look at this. The end of verse 4 says this. It says that you will pull down his strongholds. That's what it says, that you will pull down his strongholds. If you're being powerful, if you're being empowered by the Spirit, and you're seeking the face of Christ, you're going to be pulling down the strongholds of Satan. And what is a stronghold? To define it, to define a stronghold, it's basically a place that has been fortified so as to protect it against attack. A stronghold really is anything derived from pride, from sin. 
it is an area where you have allowed the enemy to have a foothold within your life. That is a stronghold. And Paul says here that the way to take this out, the way to take out the stronghold here in Corinth isn't necessarily from counterattacking, isn't to necessarily, hey, like somebody that punches you in the face. Have you ever been punched in the face? It doesn't feel good. It really, it's a bummer. Like nobody enjoys being punched in the face or being punched in the arm. When somebody does that, it's not like, oh man, like it's okay, don't worry about it. You want to punch them like 10 times harder. It's, 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 <laughs> anyways, yeah, I could go on about that. Um, but isn't that true, man, that you just want to give it tenfold back to the person. And so Paul, in, in thinking of the way that he's going to, minister back to these people, right? Because he's ministering out of love. is not by counterattacking. It's not by giving it back tenfold. But it's, just it's, it's basically just through humility. That's what I'm trying to say. It's just through humility that Paul is going to minister unto these Corinthians. That he's just, through his love, that it's going to minister to them the most. Yes, he's going to be stern. Yes, he's going to exhort them. But we're going to see that it's through his humility and being like Christ that he's going to minister effectively to these Corinthians. Let's look at verse 5 together. Are you guys all right? Hanging in there? Verse 5, okay. Verse 5 says, Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The Corinthians' stronghold was that they were thinking that they were smarter than God. That was their thing. There was, there was pride that was involved. And with any area of sin, there's always pride behind it. You can guarantee that. And basically, for these carnal Corinthians, really is what you could call them, uh, they were thinking that they could argue. They could argue with Paul, and really they were arguing with God. Carnal thinking argues with God. That's what it does. When I fight with carnal weapons, and not with spiritual weapons, I think I'm smarter, more sophisticated, uh, more affected, more powerful than God in his ways. Carnal worldly minds think that they know more than God does. And here the Corinthians are exalting themselves above God. That's really what they're doing in this case. They think it's against Paul, but really as, as Paul being a servant of the Lord, they're doing this against God. And realize this also, that Paul isn't even speaking to those in the world. Did you notice that? He's speaking directly to those who are in the church. Paul was dealing with the heart and the mind of the church. Man, so many times in my life, I can, um, I can find myself fighting carnally, carnally thinking even, um, thinking about things of the flesh. Um, and that, that, can, that can make its way, if we're not quick to repent, it can make its way and creep its way into the church. St. Chronicles 7.14 says this. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and then I will hear from heaven and will forgive them uh, their sin and heal their land. 2 Chronicles 7.14. For if my people, the Lord says, if my people repent and get right with me, and then I can work in the community around them. It has to start with those within the church. Repentance and correct thinking and correct battling has to start with us. It has to start with Christians within the church. How are the Corinthians to do this, though? How are they uh, supposed to stop using carnal methods, rather? Look at the second half of verse 5. It says this, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I love that verse. That's been a verse that's ministered, me, ministered to me in so many different areas of my life bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This was the issue with the Corinthians. Check this out. All throughout First and Second Corinthians, this, this was the issue right here. And what was the issue? It was, it was that they thought like the world. That was their issue the whole time throughout First and Second Corinthians, the whole time that we've been studying, is that they thought their mindset was like the world. These Corinthians needed basically what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Do you remember what Romans 12 says? It says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, uh, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And check this out in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what needed to happen with the Corinthian Christians there. There needed to be a transformation. These Corinthian Christians, they were basically like Christian 
bodies without um, or with worldly minds. That was, that was their set. They're basically walking in the flesh and they're just, they're walking in deadness. And uh, they were completely conformed to the world um, and, and it was in their minds that, that they were doing this. They were completely conformed in that way. Paul is telling them, you need to be transformed rather though. You need to be transformed um, in your thinking and your thinking needs to be transformed by the, re- by the renewing of your mind and that's how it happens. And how it happens is by taking every thought captive. And let me ask you this evening, are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? And that's something that's so key. And, and it's, it's become um, something that's a continual theme within my life, the obedience of Christ. That, that should be the banner above our life, man, above everything else, above um, where I work, um, the activities that I do outside um, of, of whatever else besides um, coming to church, besides going to work, besides going to school, man, um, besides the people that I, that I hang out with, the, the activities that I get involved in, man, is it to the obedience of Christ or is it, to the, or is it disobedience and just, just to please my flesh? For us as Christians, guys, it has to be to the obedience of Christ. And he says, taking every thought captive. And I love that it says, taking every thought captive. Why? Because it gives us hope. It gives us hope that we can do that. Do you remember in, oh man, I forget what passage is in, but it says basically that um, in the scripture, in the, somewhere in the epistles, that um, take courage, basically because there's, there's no... Uh, there's a way of escape that the Lord prepares for us. If, if you're caught in temptation, man, there's, there's a way of escape that the Lord provides. There's a, there's a way out. And for us here, man, the same thing applies. We need to take every thought captive, whether it's temptation, whether it's the people that I'm hanging out with, whether it's um, stuff I'm doing. <laughs> you guys know. You, you can apply it to yourself. The Holy Spirit can make application. But that's what these Corinthian Christians, they were doing. They weren't taking their thoughts captive. They weren't being obedient to Christ and they were just blaming it and shoving the blame on Paul. Paul is telling them you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, how are they to do this? By taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And well, the Corinthians uh, in their carnal thinking allowed them to despise Paul in his ministry and his meekness and his gentleness. They obviously wouldn't be thinking of Paul um, in this way, if they were thinking spiritually and taking every thought captive, this, this wouldn't have even come up. For the Macedonians, as we saw in chapter 8 and chapter 9, in their giving, and Paul was using them in, as an example to the Corinthians, it didn't even come up unto them. Um, they, weren't, they weren't bringing these accusations against Paul. And, and we know even within this chapter as well that um, there were false teachers that were creeping in and, 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 and just adding to these people that were just, uh, despising Paul and speaking ill things against Paul. And check out verse 6. It says, And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So Paul is saying that um, in, in ending this section, um, in his response to them, his answer to their accusations, um, he's just saying, hey, do, do all that you can. And then when I come, man, we'll, we're, we'll, work, we'll work out the rest. Wow, that took me a while to say. We'll work out the rest. There we go. We'll work out the rest and just do what you can now and then, I'll come when I can to help you. It's very interesting, I think, in this section. Um, and I love it. As it's such an encouragement. And just looking over it again, that Paul is, is saying here that, that we're not helpless in our thinking. We're not victims um, of our thoughts. People are only victims of their thoughts because they have no discipline over their thoughts. I thought that was very interesting. A man by the name of, of uh, oh my goodness, David Guzik said that. People are only victims of their thoughts because they have no discipline over their, over their thoughts. And again, you can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We can choose to stop our thoughts, thoughts of lust, anger, fear, greed, and bitterness, and evil thoughts. And I love that it says every. You can take every thought captive in verse 5. You can take every thought captive, not just some, but you can take every thought captive the first thing I want to point out to you is that you belong to someone. It's either God or it's Satan. <laughs> as harsh as that sounds, it's true. You either belong to the enemy or you belong to the Lord, your Savior. 
And the second thing I want to point out is that you have no business acting as a free agent with your mind. You have no business acting as a free agent with your mind. If you are a Christian, if you claim to be that tonight, you are the purchased possession of Jesus Christ. Christ bought you with his blood, paid, paid in full, te telestai, as it is in Hebrew. And really, in looking at this, we realize that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus Christ, that we are paid for, we're bought by the blood of Jesus. And not only did he make you to begin with, not only did he make us, but then he bought us, he laid down his life for us. You might be thinking, man, I, did, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> I, didn't ask, I didn't ask Christ to do that for me. Um, but really, I mean, if you think about it, man, to, to think of a, a loving Savior that would do that for you, and then you get to live your life. Why? Because he, he created you, he made you, and then he bought you back in this plan called redemption, and then making you and sanctifying you to become more and more like Christ and make you more and more holy. You belong to Christ, not to yourself. Not only did he make you, but he bought for you and he paid for you at the cross. 1 Corinthians 6 says this. It says, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And not only did Christ create us, not only did he buy us and purchase us, but then he has come to indwell us with the Holy Spirit. He has come to take over our lives, if you'll let him. The Bible says that um, Jesus Christ, he, he, he sits at the door and he knocks. He knocks and waits for you to open. He knocks at the door of your heart. He doesn't barge his way in. He's a gentleman about it. He knocks and he waits. And if you'll let him in, man, he'll come and he'll completely transform your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. With resurrection power, he'll completely transform your thinking, your life, your motives, your character. If you will allow Christ to do that, man, he'll do it. He'll do a radical work. And again in verse 6, it says, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So Paul basically just asking them, hey, just be obedient. Just clean up what you can, and then I'll come and help with the rest. In verse 7, <clears throat> in this section, it says this. It says, uh, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced uh, in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ's. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for, edif uh, for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed lest I seem to terrify you by letters. These Corinthians were looking at Paul's outward appearance. And, then, and let, I think just from, from outward sources that we, that we know that, that Paul wasn't really an attractive man. <laughs> he was short. Some people think that he was like, like five foot nothing. Um, and he was, he was bald. He had a, a hooked nose, super attractive. Um, and he, had, he was sweaty a lot. He, just, he was sweat. He was giving out his sweatbands to people and they were getting saved. Pretty crazy. Um, but he wasn't a, really an attractive dude. And so these people, in their carnal thinking, they're like, who, who are you? Like, looking at his outward appearance, they're like, who do you think you are, man? Like, a little short, stubby, like, and so hook-nosed little guy. But Paul was saying, in the, what he's saying in this verse to these people in, in verse 7 is, I know I'm not the most attractive. He knows that. But look, look at yourselves, basically. He's saying, hold, hold up a mirror to yourselves. Look at, look at yourselves and really use, use the word of God to do that. Paul will say that in another place. But he says, use, use the word of God to see yourself and to see your carnality, to see your fleshliness. If you are Christ, Paul is saying, why can't I as well? Why can't I? Does it, does it, am I being Christ? Is that, is that based on my looks? <laughs> is, is it based on my attractiveness that I'm Christ? No. Christ didn't buy you because you're, you're super hot. No, Christ bought you because he loves you. Christ bought you because he made you and he has a plan for your life. And Paul basically is just asking, he says, does my appearance disqualify me from being Christ? And he's saying, look, look in the mirror. Look at who you are. Are you any better? And Paul, isn't, he's not boasting in himself. He's boasting in Christ and what Christ has done in his life. 
But he's saying, look in the mirror. Look at yourselves before you look at, look at me because there's really nothing to look at. But man, when you're looking at Christ in me, let him be the judge. And verse eight says this, for even if I should boast in somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for uh, your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. And uh, lest I seem to terrify you by letters, verse 10, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, he says that such we will also be indeed when we are present. Paul says in verse 8 that God has given me authority. That's what he's saying. He's not boasting in it. He's just stating the facts, stating the truth. Christ has given me authority to speak. He's not boasting. He's just speaking the truth. Notice uh, what Paul says about authority. Um, Notice what he says, what authority is, rather. Paul says authority is for, notice, two things. It's for, one, edification, and uh, and not for destruction, rather. So it's for edification, not for destruction. That's what Paul is saying. That's what authority is. Edification is just another word for building up. That's what edification means, in building up one another. Paul says, God gave me authority in the church to build up and not to tear down. This is what authority is intended for, to build up and to edify. And if you have any sort of authority, whether it, you know, it be in school, whether, um, you're a part of um, uh, some authority aspect, um, in your school, whether it's in your job, rather. Um, you're getting promotions. You're moving up. This is, this is what it is. And encouraging one another, that's what Paul is saying. Within the church, same thing. It's for building up. It's not for tearing down. If you see, notice this as well. If you, if you see this um, taking place, if somebody's just getting ragged on from someone in authority, that's, that's unhealthy. That's unhealthy authority being practiced. What's healthy authority, what Paul is saying here, healthy ministry, rather, is building each other up. And as we come into this place every Sunday, every Wednesday, that's, that's what we're to do. We're not to tear one, uh, one another down. We're not to um, seek to place ourselves, whether it be through jokes or whether it be through um, you name it, um, to place ourselves on top of that person and to, to hold that person down. Man, it's, it's for the sake of building up one another. That's what, that's what Paul is saying, because of love, because of edification. That's what we seek to do as believers with one another. Not to tear down, but to build up. That's what Paul is saying. And once again, Paul says, God gave me authority in the church to build up and not to tear down. And this is what authority is intended for, to build up, not to tear down, to edify, to build up. Verse 10 says, uh, for his letters, they say are weighty. So this is the Paul speaking or sounding like the Corinthians. For The Corinthians are saying his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. The Corinthians believe they had evidence against Paul. That's what they're saying here. They believe they had evidence against Paul. And they said his bodily presence. They are just basically what they're doing. They're just, again, just talking about his outward appearance. Um, and they're, they're judging Paul based on his outward appearance, not on the, his inward. And there's, they're speaking and they're saying um, his speech. They're saying his speech is contemptible. And that word contemptible, basically, they're, they're, they're talking about his presentation of his sermons. Paul and some people believe that after he got stoned at Lystra, <laughs> that it's not funny. Um, after he got stoned at Lystra, that uh, he, he ended up having like... Um, not like a speech impediment, but almost, almost kind of like that, like a, like a stuttering problem because um, he got beat up so much. <laughs> the guy took a beating multiple times throughout scripture. Um, and so some people believe it's that. Um, some people just don't think that he, were, he, he was uh, really eloquent in his speech. Um, he wasn't really smooth with the way that he spoke. Uh, and so that's, that's what they're, they're saying against him. They're talking about his presentation of sermons. And, and in that culture, in that Greek culture there, that's what it was all about. It was about people that could talk smooth, people that could, um, you know, were very eloquent in speech, people that were flattering the people, um, that were just presenting jokes, and there was no edification really happening. There was no power behind their message. And I think the example that the Corinthians had at this time was the false teachers that were coming in. The false teachers were giving this unto the people. And so this is the example that they had. While Paul was in prison writing to them, they had these false teachers that were coming in, and this was the example that they had. 
But Paul, man, if you know anything from this letter, and if you've been following along with us in other letters as well, look at the book of Romans. Man, that's heavy. That's crazy. But Paul spoke boldly the truth of the word of God. There wasn't any cutting corners. You're right. You okay? Okay. <laughs> Anyways, Paul spoke boldly to the truth of the word of God. When they say contemptible, and again, it, it wasn't as entertaining as they wanted. It wasn't as entertaining as they liked. And so Paul, Paul just told him straight up, this is, this is my ministry. This is what Paul, this is the authority that I have. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the word of God. I'm not going to cut corners. I'm not going to seek to flatter you. I'm not going to seek to fluff the word of God. And there's, listen, there's people that do that. There's certain um, television stations. There's certain people um, within this area, within California, man, that they um, really across the world, that they do this. There's a health and wealth you know, preaching where, man, people are just in the ministry just to make money. Um, that's wrong. That's, that's a false teacher, man. When you're just trying to pocket people, like we were talking about last week in tithing, man, when people are trying to rip you off, they say, hey, if you want to be saved, give me like 10 bucks and you're good to go. Like, dude, that's, that's so wrong. <laughs> that's terrible. That was like um, Catholicism. They, they did that um, in, in allowing you to get into, hev- get into heaven. That, that's, that's false teaching, that's wrong. But for these Corinthians, it wasn't as fluffy. It wasn't as um, soft as they wanted. Paul, man, Paul, when Paul taught, dude, he, he brought it home. That guy didn't mess around. He, he didn't pull punches. He just said it straight like it was, lovingly, yes. But the word of God, man, like we said, like we prayed earlier, man, it's a two-edged sword that cuts between bone and marrow. And that it pierces the heart. That's what it does. It brings division. And what it can do, what the word of God can do is that it can either bring, it can cut and bring healing, like a surgery, for example. That's what the word of God can do. It can cut and bring healing. Or a man, it can cut and it can leave, and leave a wound, you know, and it can cut and you can walk away and, and not be healed. Man, the Lord seeks to cut with the word of God, but then he seeks to heal you with the rest of the scripture. And so that's what Paul basically did in presenting this to the Corinthian people, the Corinthian Christians. And in closing, verse 11, check this out. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such we will be also indeed, then we are present. Um, so basically what Paul is saying here is that, um, he says, man, you, you think I'm, I'm soft now, just wait, just wait till I get to you. <laughs> it's coming, man, just, just wait. You know, if, if that's what you want, if you want me to be stern, because that's what, that's, that's what they wanted to Paul. They wanted consistency. They wanted consistency, but they wanted to be consistently weak. They wanted a, someone that they could just push around. So Paul's saying, uh, that's not going to be me. I'm not just going to be a pushover. I'm going to come and I'm going to bring you the truth lovingly, the word of God. And in verses 12 through 18, here we go. Ready? In closing. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Basically what the Corinthians were doing here is that um, they were just comparing themselves with one another. They were comparing themselves to themselves. Um, That's never a good thing. Don't do that. Compare yourself to Jesus. Um, That's the only person that you can compare yourself to because he's perfect and then you realize that you're not perfect and then you're humbled um, but then Jesus gives you the power to live like Christ to live like him to become more like him verse 13 we however will not boast beyond measure but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us a fear a sphere a fear a sphere which especially includes you for we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in another man's labors, but having hope greatly enlarged by you in our sphere, to preach the gospel that in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. So what Paul is saying here, quickly, he's saying that, basically, um, he's saying that, hey, I'm not not going into another man's lane. Paul, Paul loved using analogies. He loved using sports analogies. And what Paul basically is saying here, he's, he's saying that he, when a runner runs, you're not going into multiple lanes, right? If you're, if you're doing a sprint, it's not like you're going like all over the place. That's ridiculous. Um, but what you're doing for sake of speed and for sake of um, 
really unity on the track. You're, you're running in your lane. And so Paul's saying, hey, there's other guys around. Because some were saying that I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of, you know, this person or that person. What Paul's saying is, hey, I'm, that, that doesn't matter. I'm of, I'm of Christ and I'm, I'm running in this. This is my lane. This is my sphere of influence. And so Paul, in planning this church, he's saying, hey, I, and not boasting, lovingly, again, he's saying that I was the one that planted this church. God appointed me as pastor, authority, missionary at this church. Um, and you guys came forth as a part of the ministry that God was doing in and through my life. So he's saying, hey, this is my sphere of influence. And so I'm writing to you and I'm staying in my lane as a believer. I'm running hard towards a prize, but hey, you guys, you guys are in my lane. This is, I'm, I'm ministering to you because God has placed you within my life. That's what he's saying. And I promise in closing, verse 17 and 18, it says, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I love that verse. But for, for, uh, for, for, for not he who commends himself, almost finished, is approved, but whom the Lord commends. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And guys, man, we have so much to glory um, and be joyful about. There's so many things. And tonight we just talked about a few of them. Um, you look at the book of Ephesians. Man, I love Ephesians. That would be rad to go through that book next. Hint, hint. Um, or not. But it's a good one. Yeah, just talking about the riches that we have in Christ. Man, just talking about all that Christ has done for us. And so tonight, talking about spiritual warfare, talking about um, what ministry is supposed to be. Guys, man, let it be about Jesus. For us, let us compare ourselves to, to Christ, not to anyone else, looking to Jesus, man, to, to fight in the battle that we're in, because it is a fight, to fight on our knees as believers. We just saw a movie the other night. It was called, uh, the movie called War Room. And uh, it was great, Christian film. Um, we saw it um, with some people from the church and, um, it was rad. Basically, um, it was all about just prayer and what prayer is. And guys, and it's called war and for the purpose of saying that prayer is a war. Our, our, our life is a war. And so in prayer, we, we go to battle for those whom we love to those who are around us. And so in just saying that, guys, it's, it's the ways that we fight, man, it's through prayer. It's through the word of God. Um, it's by fellowship with one another, by praying for another. Um, and then not to use carnal weapons, not, not to use the things of the flesh, not to um, let the things of our mind come in and creep in. And, and again, guys, um, yeah, just let it be Jesus. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> let it be Jesus. Let it be Jesus that's working in and through your life. Let it be Jesus that is ministering to your heart. Let it be Jesus that is um, completely changing you from the inside out. Let him do it, man. Don't, don't hinder him. And in his work, let him do it. Amen. All right.